you're visiting with us, we go through the books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We've made it as far as verse 19 of Galatians chapter 5. As Paul is addressing the churches of Galatia, he would write to them in verse 1 of this chapter, chapter 5 of Galatians, that you are to stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Father, as we come to you, what a privilege it is for us, the, the brethren, to be here. And I know that people had to park in the snow, track through the snow, uh, fight the crowds. But, Lord, uh, we're grateful. We're grateful that uh, this place fills up and empties and fills up and empties and fills up. And I'm very grateful for the brethren that are here. We get to minister to the children and to our youth. And right now we get to hear your word spoken to us in this sanctuary, those in a coffee shop. Others have joined us online. And I pray that we would be ready to receive, to be taught, to be encouraged and instructed. That we would remember to turn our ringers off our phones and be settled into our seats and open up our hearts and our ears to you. Lord, I do want to pray for the Pregnancy Center and such an important ministry here and Weld County and Greeley that is saving lives and giving the gospel. We do stand on the sanctity of life. Even as I think about the prophet Ezekiel was told, understand the way of life and understand there is a way of death. And we choose life. We choose life. And Lord, I thank you that we have eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ, that you desire to give us abundant life by abiding in you. Lord, as we talk about walking in the Spirit, I pray that we would be just blessed in every way and encouraged. And Lord, that it would cause us to be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have seen that the Christians there of Galatia were told, you're not to yoke yourself to legalism, which they had been doing. And you recall in the opening of this letter, Paul says that I marvel, I just, it's a strong word, that you're moving away from the gospel to another which is not the gospel. There are those who are coming along and troubling you. And of course, he was making a reference to the legalists, the Judaizers, that were coming in and saying, it's not in faith alone or in Christ alone, but you have to be circumcised and you have to keep the law of Moses to be justified before God. And Paul would defend the gospel of grace. And one thing that has been reiterated to us going through this study is that there is one gospel. There's not two different gospels. They were moving away from the truth of the gospel revealed to Paul by the Lord himself. And as he defends the gospel, he then gets them established in the gospel once again. He tells them that the law won't save you. And that's something that we need to understand. You see, the law is God's righteous standard, but it won't save anyone. The reason is, is because you and me, we don't keep the law. We break the law. And the purpose of the law is to drive us to Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. So we've looked at all of those things going through these chapters. And then chapter 5, and we'll continue in chapter 6, telling us how we live in this grace. And he reminds us that, as we have read, that it is faith working through love. And as we looked at that a couple weeks ago, verse 13 of the chapter, I want to read it to you again, because I think it really sets the context and, and um, what is the truth that Paul is trying to drive home to us as we are told not to 
to be yoked again to the yoke of bondage or legalism, but to stand fast in liberty. Verse 13, I have it underlined in my Bible. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. And that is the context in which we read now as we pick it up at verse 19, the works of the flesh being listed. The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, and heresies. Verse 21, envy and murders and drunkenness and rivalries and of the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the apostle here, he's listing these things, which are a work of the flesh. He lists, first of all, adultery, which, of course, is any kind of immorality outside of the marriage relationship. And then he lists fornication, which is any kind of immorality, sexual immorality, whether you are married or not. Uncleanness, you can think of it as the opposite of purity. If it isn't pure before God, if it isn't good before God, then it is unclean. And you see, it not only speaks of a sinful lifestyle, not only speaking of immoral acts, but it can also include impure speech. Lewdness, that means and has the idea of ready to sin at any time. To sin openly and shamelessly, having no sense of shame. It is a conduct that has no restraint. And you know this to be true, that as we look at our culture, we live in more of a more of a lewd world than ever before. More and more, people flaunt their sin openly and without shame. So the first works of the flesh mentioned here in verse 19 are what are called sensual sins. And then Paul lists two religious sins, if you would, idolatry and sorcery there in verse 20. Idolatry, we read a lot about that in the Old Testament. It was the sin that caused the children of Israel to go off into captivity. They refused to bow, you know, to repent from their idol worship bound down to those idols. And we see the prophets coming along. And you read chapter after chapter in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, the minor prophets, of them telling the God's people, turn away from the idol worship. And you see, as we are told here, that idolatry, it's more than just having a statue on your mantle or in your backyard that you're burning incense to and, and worshiping. But it is anything that you give adoration to, that you give your devotion to, that, that you are, are given worship to over your relationship with the Lord. It becomes an idol. It is something that is listed here as a work of the flesh. And then he lists sorcery, which is translated in the King James, if any of you have a King James, as, I believe, witchcraft. It's speaking of the service and the worship of the occult, spiritual powers that are apart from God. And, of course, we know that we see that in the Old Testament. It was Moses that stood before Pharaoh and cast down his staff and, and saying, 
thus says the Lord, let my people go. The staff turned into a snake, and it was Pharaoh that called out his magicians. And with the working of Satan, they would cast down their staffs, and their staffs turned into snakes. We know that they called up frogs. They, they turned water into blood. So there was the power of Satan, of darkness, the occultic power, the occultic world is what it's speaking of there. It is sad. I think, to hear Christians, and, and more times than not, I will hear some say, well, I'm a Christian, but I like to, to fool around with tarot cards or call psychic hotlines or be involved in New Age kinds of practices, occultic kinds of practices. And we are told very clearly in the scriptures that we are to stay away from those things. We're not to be involved in occultic practices, tarot cards, you know, psychic lines, you know, crystal balls, all this stuff, occultic kinds of things. And we know that was a big part of Babylon when we went through the book of Daniel, the magicians that came out and stood before Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. But it's interesting here, sorcery, it, that the word here in the Greek is uh, pharmakia. It's where we get our word pharmacy, the use of drugs hallucinogens. And oftentimes in the ancient world, drug use was associated with the occult. And then as we continue down the list, Paul lists what is known as interpersonal sins, hatred. We're not to be ones that hate. John would tell us, the apostle of love in his first epistle, that as Christians, we're not to hate our brother. Then contentions. That's having a combative and argumentative spirit. It ought not to be for the Christian. And unfortunately, that there can be those that want to be combative, always wanting to argue, always wanting to pick a fight, wanting to, to, to be contentious towards others. We can see it on social media. You know, We see it in other areas that, that they want to just... Uh, argue all the time. And for you and for me, the scripture says that we are to live peaceably with all men, if possible. That we're to be gentle. An important verse that, uh, that I give to others who want to minister to others is found as Paul would write to Timothy and said that a teacher must not be quarrelsome, but gentle, able to teach, that, that it would bring repentance to the one who is hearing that, that they would turn away from what is they are doing wrong, and come to salvation. We are to be ones that we are to not be combative, picking a fight. Listen, I, I don't want to pick a fight with anybody. Just being contentious. Yeah, we'll stand for truth. Amen? I want to give the gospel, though. He says it's a work of the flesh, contentions, jealousies. We know what that is. Ill will towards others because of what somebody else has or their status or their position, whatever it might be. It's the sin that uh, Saul had towards David. It tells us in the scripture he was jealous of David because David was becoming very popular. They would sing songs about David as he went through the cities after he defeated the enemy. And Saul, he was jealous of him and he watched David and it led to him wanting to kill David. It speaks here of outbursts of wrath, the work of the flesh, speaks of a sudden outburst of anger, losing your temple, temper, unable to control your anger, selfish ambition. Paul writes in Philippians, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. It speaks of a service done for, for power, for prestige, for position, for popularity. How it benefits me, 
what's in it for me kind of attitude rather than looking out for the interests of others. Dissensions literally means standing apart. Now, we are set apart from the world. We are set apart to live for him. But here, the the dissensions, it can mean divisions. There are times when we do stand apart. But the meaning here primarily is divide as Paul describes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 when there should be a coming together. In other words, when Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, he, it was a corrective letter. And he would address problems that were going on in the church. But the very first thing that he addresses, he says, you guys are carnal because there's divisions that are going on. Some of you say you're of Paul. Some of you say you're of Apollo. Some of you say you're of Cephas, that is Peter. And the real spiritual ones, they're the ones that are saying that we're of Christ. And it was bringing division within the church when they needed to come together. We know that in a few weeks when we go into the book of Philippians, that we're going to see that one of the things that Paul addresses is a couple people that were there in the church that was causing divisions, dissensions within the church. And so he calls for them to come together and work together. Heresies is listed here. The meaning here isn't just in terms of wrong idea or teachings, but the emphasis of the word is the wrongful dividing over opinions. And we see that happen as well with within the church. There is envy. It's similar to jealousies, but it takes on the idea of being bitter because someone has what you want. Listen, there's no reason for any of us as a child of God to be jealous and envious of others. There's no reason. Because you have the greatest blessing of all. You have Jesus Christ. You have eternal life. You have the inheritance of heaven that is promised to you when you go to heaven. Uh, The riches of Christ that are yours. There's no reason for any of us to be jealous or to be envious. And that is complaining against the lot that God has given to you in life. The Bible says the word to learn to be content is what we're to do. And then as we see here, he lists murders. And then the last two sins of the work of the flesh, he writes, are called social sins, drunkenness and rivalries, sins that are oftentimes committed in the company of other people. Rivalry speaks of unrestrained partying. Now, this is not a complete list of the works of the flesh. But Paul, after he writes these works of the flesh, he writes that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, it's important for us to understand that Paul is not saying that if you have committed one of these sins, that there's no forgiveness and you're headed straight to hell. That's not what he's saying here. Matter of fact, I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. You can jot it down, and I'm going to read it to you now. But Paul's writing about the works of the flesh there. As he says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says this, very important. And such were some of you. Some of you were that. But you were washed. And you've been sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. We know that we have forgiveness of sin. 
We know that we're forgiven as we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, John writes in his epistle. He would also write in 1 John chapter 2 that I write to you so that you may not sin. That is, continue in sin. And if anyone sins, that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So here's the key here in reading these verses. Underline the word practice such things. And Paul is talking about a person who habitually and continually and perpetually walks and does the works of the flesh. The one who practices these sins will not inherit the kingdom of God. It is the person who is in plain rebellion against God, not right with God, no real relationship that they are enjoying with the Lord. There's no conviction when sinning, no desire to repent or turn away from it, but a desire to continue in that sin. It is the mindset of I will live in sin if I want, when I want, I'll do what I want. If you practice such things, listen, the scripture is very clear and we need to take it at face value. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's kind of like, I don't know if this is a good illustration, but it's the only one I could come up with. That when I go fishing, if I'm standing in the river and I've fallen, and I've fallen in the river, I've fallen in the water, it, that isn't what, you know, kills me. If I stay under the water, that's what will kill me. That's what will cause me to drown. So as a Christian, we're not to practice these things. There's a problem if somebody says, I'm a Christian, and they're continuing in sin and wanting to sin. But as we continue here, and this is where I hope it's a tremendous blessing for us, that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, verse 22, and peace and long-suffering and kindness, goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. Paul gives clear definition of the work of the flesh. Works are something that I do. And now he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, and we know that fruit is not achieved by working. But the Word of God tells us that from fruit is produced by abiding. Jesus himself said in John chapter 15, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. That is, stay connected to the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So the fruit that is described here in verses 22 and 23 is not produced by the believer, but by the Holy Spirit working in the life of a believer. The one who is abiding in Christ. Yield it to the Holy Spirit working in your life. Now Paul writes, this is what's interesting, that the fruit of the Spirit is. And what I understand is that this word fruit here in the Greek is singular. The fruit of the Spirit is, not the fruits of the Spirit are. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then he lists joy, peace, long-suffering, Kindness, gentleness, and down the list. So these qualities and result of the Spirit working in our lives and the fruit that is produced, I believe, constitutes a unit. I think that the idea here is with fruit being singular in the Greek, that love is primary. The fruit of the Spirit is love, which takes on the characteristics of joy and peace and long-suffering. These eight characteristics listed. But love is primary. And that shouldn't surprise us. 
Because Paul has written that the law can be summed up in one word, right? In love. We know that the fruit of the Spirit here is love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us that you can give all that you have to the poor. You can uh, have enough faith to tell mountains to be gone. You can prophesy amazing prophecy. You can even give your body over as a burnt sacrifice. But if you do not have love, it means nothing. So love is supreme. And love is all important. So a believer submitted to and yielded to, surrendered to the Holy Spirit, the result is going to be love, agape love, which is God's love. We know that Jesus would say in John chapter 15, abide in my love and you will bear fruit. So it is not the straining and the working of keeping the law that produces fruit in our lives. It is abiding and yielding to the Lord that produces love. God, working that love in me, working that love in my life, and then joy and peace and the other characteristics that will be manifested in my life. Now, I want us to think about something, I think, an important consideration. An obvious illustration of abiding and producing fruit is a fruit tree, right? A fruit that, that perhaps that... Uh, is produced by an apple tree in this area, a plum tree, a pear tree. Uh, and as long as the branch is abiding in the trunk, and the trunk has the roots that's in the ground, there's naturally fruit that is produced in the summertime. Now, let me ask you this. Those of you who perhaps have a fruit tree, or maybe you have grapes that you grow, whatever the case may be, Does the tree or the vine produce fruit for the benefit of the tree? No. It's the benefit of others. We used to have a plum tree in the house that we lived in. And it would produce some years a lot of plums. I mean, it was like clusters of grapes. uh, Really good plums. And we'd get out there in August, and it would take a couple days of just really working on picking all those plums. And we would have bags and bags of plums, and we would bring it into the church, and we would put it out, and people, we'd bring it in on a midweek study or something, and people that were here would grab those bags of plums, and we did that for years. And then the tree died out and wasn't producing any more plums. But it ended up being a blessing to those who came. And I mentioned this to you because a lot of the teaching or sermons that I hear on this passage is Jesus wants to produce fruit in your life so you'll be satisfied and fulfilled and blessed. And don't misunderstand me. You will be satisfied and fulfilled and blessed. That will take place. If you want true satisfaction and fulfillment in life and in your soul, then you abide in Christ. You look to him. You walk in his love. You know him. Because it's not going to be found in the world. The deception of the world is you'll be satisfied and fulfilled if you follow after the world and live for the world. And and that's where freedom comes. No, that's where bondage is. And darkness and deception. And you may have pleasure for a season, the Bible says, in sin. But the end of its way is destruction. So no doubt we're going to be blessed by producing fruit in our lives. But here's the thing. We produce fruit in our lives so that we can bless others as well. We see that in the scriptures. Genesis chapter 49, verse 22. 
concerning Joseph, that prophecy given, that man of God. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a well. His branches runs over the wall. It's a picture of Joseph being a blessing to so many, like a vineyard that has vines. Now, in the ancient world, and it's still this way today, if the vineyard was small enough, they would build a wall around it, and it would um, protect, you know, uh, animals and others coming in. But God had made a provision in the Old Testament. It was the same with the grain fields. If you were hungry, you could go to the corners of the grain field and you could pick grain. You could glean the fields in that way. We see that with Jesus and his disciples. Remember, they're picking heads of grain on the Sabbath day and the religious leaders came along and said, you can't do that. That's unlawful. God had provided in the Old Testament for them to be able to do that. The problem was they were doing it on the Sabbath day according to the Pharisees. So that's a study for another time. But also to, to help those who were hungry, if you walked by a vineyard or, you know, there was a wall around uh, an orchard uh, that had trees, uh, oranges, and Israel's very fertile, grapefruit, uh, if there was grapes growing over the wall, you could pick from it and you could eat it. Passerbys could be blessed by the fruit. So again, we produce fruit not just to keep it in us, but to overflow from us. And it is that love of God that is produced as we walk and abide in Christ. The Song of Solomon in the Old Testament, that poetic book. In chapter 4, verse 10, the king that is there in the book is a picture of Jesus Christ. He's speaking to the Shulamite, his bride. And we are the bride of Christ. And in the Song of Solomon, she is likened unto a garden. And in that poetic language and scene there, he talks about how lovely she is. Pleasant fruits full of sweetness and beauty. And the bride responds in chapter 4 by saying, Come into my garden and take of the pleasant fruits that you have produced and then chapter 5, the king replies by saying, yes, I will come. I have come into the garden, my sister, my spouse. And the king says, come and eat. I'm going to come. Drink, yes. Drink deeply, oh beloved ones. So here's the thing. The bride says, come king. Come into my garden. Come and enjoy, just you and me. Come, king, and it'll be you and me, oh, beloved. And he says, yes, here I come. I'm going to come. And by the way, I'm bringing all my friends. I'm bringing my friends, too. And I'm bringing them into the garden. And I kind of pictured a Shulamite woman thinking, as the king comes in with his friends, I wanted you who invited them. But there's an important consideration in the Song of Solomon, that love story. The Lord has come to us, and he has saved us. And he wants to produce fruit in our lives, not just for you, Jeff, but for others. And I pictured the beloved bringing his friends and they're stepping on the vines and they're being all loud and they're picking the fruit and she's annoyed and irritated by it. And you see, the people that the Lord has brought into your life sometimes will be irritating, loud. You're kind of going, this is my space, you know, don't invade it at all. Maybe even pick on you a little bit. 
One of the things that I'm still learning, the Lord is still showing me this, but I do know this, that the Lord has shown me that he will bring people into my life that can be hard to minister to and talk with and be a part of their life because he's teaching me to love. You see, it's easy to love the person that's, you know, always patting you on the back and helping you and encouraging you. But the Lord desires for us to grow in that love for others. And it comes by the fruit that you are bearing. And we can love others only through the love of Jesus Christ working in our lives. Because you're abiding in Christ, walking in the Spirit. That will lead to being a blessing to others so that they might be benefited and they might do well. Do you realize to some people, you're the only light that they see? They're the only, you are the only gospel that they see through your life. You are the only one that can proclaim truth to them. And I know that some of you have some difficult bosses and hard neighbors and others that are in your life. But say, Lord, how is it that I can, as Paul writes in verse 13 of the chapter, serve others in love? He's not asking you to be walked on and taken advantage of. But how can I serve them and be a light to them, speak truth, be a voice of truth into their lives? So I want to ask us all a question here this morning, and it's not to condemn or make us feel guilty or any of that thing. Just an honest evaluation as you open your heart to the Lord and what we are reading and learning this morning. When was the last time that you served somebody in the body of Christ? This month? Last year? Can't remember? The Lord says, walk in the Spirit, abide in Him. He wants to use you. And you will bear fruit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love. Because the world is so messed up when it comes to the definition of love. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. And we've discussed how joy is much deeper than happiness. Joy can include happiness. You see, on on Friday night, Sue and I got to watch our little grandbaby. What an incredible joy it brings to us to be with her, to watch her crawl, to play with her. It brings incredible joy to be with my kids and my family. And it also brings happiness But you see, we can have joy, joy inexpressible, the Bible says, even in the difficulties and the hard times and the loss. I can still rejoice in the Lord. I can still take pleasure in the Lord, have a gladness of heart towards the Lord. It was Nehemiah that said, it's the joy of the Lord that's your strength. And joy comes through faith in our Lord, abiding in Christ. In your presence, David would write his fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. It comes by being obedient to the Lord. As Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you, that your joy may be full. 
Joy comes with fellowship with other believers. And I, I see the joys. You guys are hugging each other. And even though we're kind of trying to maneuver out there and get around people, and as I said, parking in the snow and all of this, there's real joy that is here because you're with the believers. There is joy in serving the Lord and serving others. In our ministry class that we're going to do on Saturday, we're going to talk about, in one of the sessions, having joy in the ministry that we do. Because there's a lot of things that can come into our lives to take our joy away. And Paul, as we will go through the book of Philippians, will write about joy. That's the whole theme of Philippians at a time where he doesn't know what's going to happen to him. He's in prison. He doesn't know whether he's going to be killed or released. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say rejoice. It's something that only the Lord truly can give us joy. I heard one Bible teacher or commentator said this, joy, you want joy? J-O-Y. This is how you have joy. Jesus first. Others second, you last. Jesus first, others second, you last. So as Paul is writing this, he goes on to say that peace, peace that passes understanding. And some of you have, or presently, that whatever it is that you're facing, you want understanding, Lord, why? Why is this coming to my life? Why is this happening? Why am I going through this? And the Lord says, you don't have to be anxious, but through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God, and the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit being long-suffering. Now, suffering's bad enough, but put the word long with it. And some of you have gone through and are presently going through difficulty, just agony, and you've been going through it day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And I want you to know that the Lord hasn't left you, that he's still with you, and his promise is true for you. And even in the midst of it, he desires to give you that peace because you have peace with God. He wants to give you the peace of God, that joy. He's going to help you as you go through long suffering. And there's going to be fruit that's going to be produced in your life because you're going to be able to minister to others who are going through it that don't have Christ. There is kindness. We should be kind, not rude towards others. Goodness, which speaks of generosity. Faithfulness, being trustworthy. Gentleness speaks of being meek. Meekness is strength under control, self-control. It is the Holy Spirit that works these things in you so you have a blessed life and you're a blessing to others and they see the reality of Jesus Christ that is in you and coming from you. And then in verse 24, as we finish the chapter, and those who are of Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited. We have no reason to be conceited. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12 that as we are to live for Christ, be a living sacrifice, the very first thing he lists there is don't think too highly of yourself. You have no reason to be conceited. Provoking one another, envying one another. We're not to provoke one another. An idea here is tearing each other down or... The Hebrews chapter 10 does say we're provoked one another for good works. 
So one of the things that I don't mind you doing is as you're talking and fellowshipping, it's just kind of provoking one another for good works. Hey, you know, how would you like to, to, to help serve in this area? Hey, keep studying your Bible. You know, just kind of provoking them. Hey, keep doing good. Hey, don't quit. Keep studying the Word of God. Keep coming. Serve whatever it may be that the Lord is leading you to speak into their lives. Paul writing in Romans chapter 6, knowing this, that the old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with so that we are no longer slaves to sin. And when we were born again, our flesh, our old nature has been crucified. So we walk in the spirit, fruit being produced in my life as I abide in him, no longer a slave to sin. We live in liberty in Christ. It's a whole new way of thinking and living. Amen? Not being dominated by the flesh. We walk in the spirit, which means moment by moment, day by day. We just submit and are sensitive and yielding to the spirit, focusing on Jesus. And as we do that, everything else will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you for these verses. I thank you that as we gather in this place that we, we have the promise of your word, that we have liberty in Christ. We don't use that liberty to walk in the flesh because that's just going to bring us in bondage. But, Lord, we can abide in you, continue with you, love you, and then the fruit of the Spirit is produced in our lives, not only for our benefit, but for the benefit of others. And Father, I want to pray if anyone's here, and I just I pray that, that we're just kind of still right now and being respectful. And just going to the Lord right now. If there's anyone here that maybe the Lord is speaking to you because you've accepted sin. You thought it was okay to continue in sin. It's not. And you know that you need to repent. The Lord never rejects a repentive person who hears the word and is convicted and is always to draw you to him. And maybe there's a sin in your life. It may be an attitude of jealousies and hatreds or envy. Maybe it's a sensual sin. Maybe it's, maybe it's just one of these things that were listed here that the Lord is saying stop and turn to me give it to the Lord right now give it to him say Lord forgive me I come to you I know that this is sin and it's wrong forgive me I'm confessing it right now and know that the blood of Jesus Christ brings forgiveness and washes us of our sins and not to continue in it. We have liberty in Christ to live for him, not live for the world. And to live for him that we might be a blessing to others. Lord, I thank you for those who are praying this prayer here or maybe listening online and just saying, forgive me, Lord. I know I'm the walk in the spirit. You created me for your good pleasures. You created me that I may produce fruit for the benefit of others. 
And I also want to pray if you're here that you've never made a commitment to Christ. If there's anyone at all. We have seen in the services this morning people make commitments to Christ. You can't do any of this walk in the Spirit until first you're born again by the Spirit of God and you come to Jesus and confess that you're a sinner in need of forgiveness. To come and surrender, repent of your sins, turn to Him and call out on the name of the Lord. He loves you so much. Know the way of life. And the way of life is through Jesus Christ and believing that He died for your sins and He rose again. And if that's you, listen, tomorrow's a promise to any of us. Get right with God. Call out on the name of Jesus right now, believing that he died for your sins and he rose again. And in the sincerity of your heart is surrender to him. You can do that right now. You can pray, Jesus, I come and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. Forgive me. And I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior because I know you're alive. You conquered sin and death. And I thank you for this new beginning and a newness of life and bringing me into the family of God. And help me to abide in you, to learn of you and walk with you, and to live in your love. In Jesus' name. And again, as we're just respectful, if you prayed that prayer here in this sanctuary, Will you just put your hand up and put it back down? Anybody at all? Anybody at all? I just want to give you the opportunity to say, yes, I made a decision for Christ. Father, there may be some, maybe here in this building, in the coffee shop, or maybe some listening online, but Lord, I thank you for the opportunity for people, for salvation to come to this place. And I thank you that We've heard your word. I pray that we would go out here rejoicing, being built up in every way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.